0: rooftop
1: of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood. It's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with your host, Adam Cruz. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, to the St. Louis Realtor Podcast live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group. Today is June 20th, 2018. Of course, I have my fabulous co-host, Shannon St. Pierre, here in the, on the rooftop with me. Shannon, say hello to everybody. Hello, hello. And today we have a very special guest. We have Caleb Lewis. He's a new real estate investor, and he was at this event with us that we're going to be talking about today. So, first of all, we wanted to just mention a couple things. The Herman London Real Estate Group has been getting a lot of really good feedback from people about our podcast. We've had a lot of investors and Of course, friends and realtors from other companies telling us that they like the podcast, basically, right? Right. And so we just wanted to mention to people, if you're thinking about being a realtor or if you're a realtor already and you're thinking about being a Herman London realtor, just please call. Just reach out to me. I'm the broker owner, Adam Cruz. You can call me 314-210-5115. You're welcome to reach out to any of our agents if you want to. Call Shannon and uh, or anybody else and just ask them about their Herman London experience or their kind of experience just being a real estate person. You know, we have a really wide variety of different types of realtors and investors and property managers and, and all sorts of types of people that work here. And it's a really diverse group of, I guess, business models, wouldn't you say?
2: Yes, and I think that that's the... The thing that sets Herman London apart is that it is it covers almost all bases when it comes to real estate.
1: Yeah, we've got commercial and association management. We're doing a little bit of everything and a lot of some of it. So it's been great. But uh, anyway, we just thought we'd mention it if you're interested in talking about being an investor or a realtor with us to just reach out. So what we really are going to talk about today is we recently uh, had a panel. So um, we're through the St. Louis Association of Realtors. There's a group called YPN. I was on the board for YPN for like eight years. And this year I came back as the MC for this event we call 30 Under 30. And so what we did is we flew in, or what YPN did is flew in four people who have won the uh, National Association of Realtors and Realtor Magazines 30 Under 30 um, award, I guess you can say. So each year they choose 30 spectacular realtors who are under 30 years old. And the reason why the St. Louis chapter of YPN likes to fly these people in and wine and dine them and uh, ultimately put them up on a panel so we can ask them a bunch of questions in front of people is the idea is that they're super successful people in their own markets, but by coming to St. Louis and talking to us, they kind of have nothing to hide because they're not our competitors. So there's no reason for them not to tell us about a little secret that they have or a way that they do things because you know we're not competing with them, right? And so... Um, it's really awesome. And and this year we had, I'm just going to kind of go through and list out who we had, Jordan Salisbury from Lake of the Ozarks and uh, Osage Beach, Missouri. She's with Keller Williams down there. We had Jenica Holmquist. Um, by the way, Jordan won the award in 2018. Uh, all three of them, three of the four won it in 2018. So Jenica Holmquist from... Uh, Washington, Lifestyle, Homes, Keller Williams Realty, and Tacoma, Washington. She's 28 years old. And uh, let's see, Michael Panisi, he's, this guy is involved in everything, but he's uh, he was the 2012 winner, but he's on the National Association of Realtors board now. And he's from Colwell Banker in New Jersey. And then lastly, we had Isabello afanito. She won in 2018. She's from a company called J.B. Goodwin in Austin, Texas. She's 29. And uh, she she also has her own podcast called Funky Homes of Austin Podcast. So if you're interested in checking out her podcast, then I'm sure you can find it on wherever you're listening to this podcast, right? So what we what we did is we had this huge list of questions, and I was standing up there, and I just asked these people questions. And they can answer however they wanted to. Okay. And so, what we want to do on today's podcast with Caleb and Shannon is just talk through what some of the questions were, what their answers were, and what we thought or what we learned and that we thought was interesting. But if you don't mind, Caleb, I'd like to ask you just to tell us, tell the listeners briefly a little bit about yourself and why, you know, what were you doing at this event? And
0: I guess what's your, what you're doing in real estate currently. So, thanks for having me and uh first off i am a kind of apprentice to adam right now at herman london so i've just been learning about all aspects of basically everything in real estate and right now i go to school at Ole miss so studying a little bit of real estate down there and hopefully want to come back up to st louis after i graduate and start a career in real estate and the reason i went to this uh conference and the panel is just to learn more about these young realtors and how they've been successful. Yeah. And so it was interesting,
1: right? We started off by
0: asking them what we called rapid fire
1: questions, which was just a bunch of basically yes or no, or one word answer questions. And, uh, I I was surprised to hear that none, none of them advertise on Zillow. None of them advertise on realtor.com. Some of them do Facebook advertising, right? Um, and I guess, Almost none of them did open houses or door knocking or even geographic farming, right? It seems like...
2: I thought a couple of them did. Geographic farming. Which one? Geographic Um, farming? Yeah.
1: I would guess that Jordan does because she's focused at the Lake of the Ozarks. Um, But I think Jennica and Isabel were both kind of focused on their sphere of influence and, you know, just kind of like... uh, Especially Jennica said that she focused a lot on networking and kind of getting out there and getting connected to people. They all, we asked how many hours a week they work. I think all of them said a lot, too many, I don't know, I don't keep track, whatever.
2: Well, yes, and uh, the hours blend in with the everyday personal life, so you can't keep track necessarily.
1: Right. But all of them are residential people. In the past, we've had commercial people in there. Uh,
2: so you also asked about social media. Social media is where um, you know, they seem to kind of all be very active and then the sales teams if they have support assistance and they all said yes. So yeah, let's talk about that's kind of the 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 common thread there is the extra help, the assistance, the transaction coordinators and social media.
1: So, let's talk about their social media stuff because they they kind of each had a little bit of a different approach, right? I think a couple of them hired social media people to sort of manage their Facebook or manage their Instagram. Remember the Jenica, I think was like Check out my Instagram. My girl's killing it right now.
2: Right. So they all have someone helping them out with social media.
1: Okay. And then, but Isabel specifically, I guess, does a lot of her own social media, like Facebook live type of videos. She said she did a final walkthrough and made a video where she was in the pool, but she she does a lot of interesting (laughs) videos, it sounds like, And, and it kind of trying to be funny and relatable and... Uh, which is what a lot of realtors approaches, I think.
2: Her main theme and point was that you can do a video on anything. So she, the video where she jumped in the pool and it was a really hot day, was was not about necessarily real estate. It was just some thing about it being very hot out, and it didn't necessarily have to do with real estate. And she said that that is and has been her most watched or one of her most watched recently?
1: So um, a lot of them, I guess, had assistants, or most of them had at least what they would call a transaction coordinator, somebody that they paid to do their paperwork, essentially, and keep all their tasks and stuff like that in line. They paid their transaction coordinators in different ways, right? A couple of them had a month's salary, and some of them paid per deal. I think some of them would give them more money depending on how many deals they were doing, You heard, I don't think I remember hearing any of them say that they gave necessarily like a percentage of their deals. It was more like the more deals I do, the more money you make. But it was kind of like a still more of like a per deal thing.
2: Yeah, for the transaction coordinators, it was still a flat fee, except for the one that started, and I can't remember which one was was so busy that they just hired her on full time and started providing a salary. Yeah, she used to use a transaction
1: coordinator company. And then that company was which was like one person and maybe her assistant or whatever, and then that company ended up being dominated by I think it maybe was Isabel, and so Isabel was like, "Hey, transaction coordinator, you know ninety five percent of the deals that you're doing are for me. Why don't you just come on and be?" like my full-time person, and stop doing this for other people. I really loved hearing this, you know, because I talk a lot about how I want our agents to get assistance and use transaction brokers, and right? And they kept talking about what my highest and best use as a realtor is to be out meeting buyers, meeting sellers, and going on appointments, essentially, right? And right. so they, they all felt like if they're sitting in the office uh, forwarding contracts around or, you know, communicating with title companies, that that's not their highest and best use. And uh, I, I just really love that they say that because it's sort of backing up what I'm always trying to get our realtors to do.
2: Right. So the number one thing that they all did was get a transaction coordinator pretty early in the process.
1: Yeah. And so then some of them have assistants too that would do things like some of them. um, I think Jordan had like a showing assistant, which is someone that she could just have go out and basically open the doors for her. If uh, she was too busy to show properties to someone, they would, she would send out her showing assistant who would literally just go, open the doors, but then if the people had any specific questions, they were supposed to come back to Jordan, right? Right. And she would pay that showing assistant a, percent, a small percentage, actually, of the deal if the people ended up buying the house that she showed them. And then some of them had assistants that would, like, go get my laundry or um, go get my dry cleaning and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then some of them had assistants that would do things like, you know, handle my marketing and update my LinkedIn or uh, anything like that. Actually, I think most of them said they don't use LinkedIn, but that they had like assistants you know. who sort of do some of their non specifically transaction related stuff. And it's great. They, I was, Looking I was really surprised by all the, the business. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I was surprised by how many of them had all these different employees and stuff. You know, these are, these are young realtors, fairly new to the business, but they're doing great. And 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 I
2: I think it is interesting because everybody on this panel this year did have multiple people on their team, maybe not as employees, but they had the transaction coordinator. They had like an assistant. They also had some social media person. So it seemed they had at least two or more. And as where last year, I feel like they all had transaction coordinators, but not necessarily additional team members. Right.
1: So speaking of teams. You know, yeah, it seems like they all kind of talked about their teams. And, and Michael Panisi, I thought, made a really interesting point. You know, everyone we asked what their first hire was for their team. And they basically either said that's assistant or they got a buyer's agent, you know. And he had this totally different approach, like he did for most of the panel or most of the interview or whatever, that he, his first hires were what he would call bird dogs. Yes, and, and I he, thought it
2: was a wildly interesting concept.
1: Wasn't it? So he went out. And found like random people in the community, for example, a hotel manager. Yes. And somehow convinced this hotel manager, go get your real estate license. I'll pay for it. I'll pay all the expenses related to you having your real estate license. But then when someone comes into your hotel and has a real estate need, refer them to me. Right. And if I close a deal, I'll pay a referral fee.
2: It's an interesting concept. I think I had a thousand other questions behind how that, the logistics of it. That we obviously didn't have time to talk about on the panel, but it would be something that... I guess some of my, my questions head. are
1: like... Because he acted like he would have a lot of these bird dogs out there, right? And so it's he also mentioned that he paid for their licensing and their schooling and then all their, their yearly realtor fees and stuff like and that. And their so monthly MLS stuff. Their monthly MLS, mm-hmm. all that stuff. You know. So they can't have that... He can't have uh, that many of them out there doing it. But if it is successful, like with the hotel manager... I mean, first to me, I'm like, wait, so people are coming in town to stay at a hotel. Cause he said that guy sends him a lot of sellers. I'm like, what are these people staying at a hotel for in town? If they have a home in town to sell.
2: Yeah. So there was a couple conflicting statements like the hotel manager. Mm-hmm. To me, I look at a hotel manager and think, yes, they come across a lot of people. Uh, But I don't feel like it would be a lot of local people and they're coming into town for the ball game or they're coming into town for to visit family or St. Louis or to go to the arch, but not buy real estate. That doesn't seem like a reason you stay at a hotel unless I'm missing something. I don't know. That's where I'm like, this is there's a thousand questions here
0: that. And the craziest thing about it was that he said the hotel manager was the one that brought him the most business throughout his whole career.
1: I guess so for example when we just had our 10 year party down at the Lumiere Hotel and Casino the manage, it's sort of a reversal but that manager was looking to buy a home and so our agent Krista who was with me was like hey I want to be a realtor you know and she so she almost got a deal out of him but if if people maybe are getting married and having like events and stuff at these hotels Maybe that's where they're meeting people from in town that are kind of having these transitional points in their life. I just thought it was really interesting.
2: But the reason, just to kind of cover, the reason he had these uh, people go get their license is so that he could legally pay them a referral fee.
1: And so they're probably actually not necessarily realtors with the MLS and with super keys and all that stuff. They're probably real estate agents who are basically like have their license, what we would call on referral. Yes. And so their their yearly fees are significantly lower. Which helps, which definitely would help him out. They all had, they all had these teams. What other interesting members of their teams did they have? I I don't think any of them had a listing agent, right? They were still all focusing as the listing agent,
2: except for maybe Michael.
1: Michael used to have a team, and then he kind of like passed his team off to his wife because now he's just acting as the broker for his office. Okay. So I don't know if he before he passed his team off, if he had a listing agent or not. So one of the big questions that kind of got them all going is, we asked, "What do you have?" that others who started when you did or before you and aren't as, sex, as successful don't have? So that question is a mouthful, but I think what we are getting at there is a lot of people get their real estate license, right? And if 10 people get their real estate license, it seems like, and I'm just making this statistic up, but it seems like two of them will still be licensed three years later. And eight of them will not be licensed, right? So to me, that question was saying, you sat in real estate class. You probably made some friends with the people in class. And now those people are either not realtors anymore or they're not doing as much business as you, right? And they're certainly not here on this panel today. And so they all had a little bit different answers to that.
2: Yeah, except for um, actually what I got from that answer was something that was – I think more validation for me. And so that's what I remember is that they sat there and they all confirmed and said and stated that it took about three years. Mm -hmm. Three years was that turning point. I think we're used to hearing, you know, stick it out for a year, just your first year in real estate Mm -hmm. is really hard and then it'll turn around. I'll get better. You'll start getting business that, you know, just, you got to really stick it out. I feel like that wasn't necessarily true for me. I feel like, you know, my first year was just kind of, you're getting your feet wet and then you're just still like for a couple, just, still kind of trying to find your way. Yeah, And so they all had said three years, three years, three years. And I'm like that that's dead on. I've never heard anyone else say that to me because it was always, that's always that first year and how many drop out after the first year, because it is so difficult, but it, it, um, and, so that's what I kind of remember about that question is if you just hang in there for three years and you show up, so you can't be hanging out on the couch for three years, but if you're showing up, I really love trying, that you're
1: sharing that, you know, I think you're kind of being vulnerable and saying that, you know, yeah, it's been my first three years were a challenge, you know? Right. And from, as the, from the broker's perspective, what people always ask is how long until I'll make money, you know? And the sort of the spin I think that brokers put on that is sort of like answering how long until you make your first check, Mm -hmm. right? And I think maybe that's what they're asking, but what they really should be asking is kind of part of our conversation now is how long until I'm making money? right until I'm actually like making a living
2: yeah it's not so much even making a living because yes that is one aspect of it but really getting your business going and where you're you're in it long enough where you're actually getting referrals and you know and somehow you've found a niche that supplies a a chain of customers
1: so they all sort of did different stuff I guess for their first three years um which everyone's answer was sort of like I just ran around crazy you and know? pretty much, and, and I feel
2: like that—that's what you kind of do—is trying to h- figure out what you're because, even as a broker, every broker's like, "What's your niche? Where's your focus? Where's your focus?" Mm-hmm. If you listen to podcasts, what's your focus? What's your focus? And then you're like, "I don't know, I don't know," and it's pressure, it's stress, and yet all of these confirmed that it did take that long. It does take that long to just kind of figure it out.
1: Caleb, for you from, you know, you've been doing this intern or apprenticeship for like a month now or something like that. Have you been surprised by how kind of weird and different every day seems to be?
0: Yeah, it actually kind of like motivates me to pursue this career like even more than what I had already like thought about doing it. And hearing that three years is kind of like reassuring for me because like I was kind of wondering that also like how long is it going to take me to make that first check or make be able to make a living. But Mm -hmm. being in this internship and not like having the experience before in the real estate world, like it's just kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities that you could have in the different scenarios and different avenues you could go down in the real estate world. So, yeah, we, you know,
1: I think I did the same thing. I ran crazy my first three years. I got so many stories, you know, and I mean, I still do, but I just had no idea really what I was doing or why I was doing it. I just try to get myself into in as many different situations as I possibly can, or could. And I and I think that that's kind of like what our goal is for new agents at our company too. You know, we don't try to we don't try to like force them into some sort of niche right off the bat. We give them lots of opportunity, our lists and different things that they could do, but then we try to help narrow it down so that there's a little bit more of a focus there. But it's, it's. I really wish that they every new agent could have heard them say that because I think people think that it's going to be easier than it is, and so when we have a new agent, and I'm like, you need to work really hard, you need to work long hours, you need to be doing everything you can. I think they sort of hear that, but almost shrug it off because they just assume that "Ah, I don't really need to do that. It's this will just come to me, you know.
2: Right. And I, I had a meeting yesterday with a newer agent. And I think she she got licensed in August. And so I was having a um, coffee with her, and I think she's in that struggle point. What's my focus? Where? What am I supposed to be doing? How come this isn't easier? And, I'm, and she's like, am I doing the right thing? And I'm like, you are like every other agent. Let me confirm that this is a total normal path. I said, I think for the first couple years, maybe, at least, I think I said that at least once a week and probably what am I doing? Should, should I just go get a job, you know, that Mm -hmm. actually pays a salary insurance and like all this. So I said, you still have a while probably of doubting that, but if you really love real estate, which is my thing, I really love real estate. Mm -hmm. Just stick with it. It will come. Just, just stick it out.
0: Yeah. I think that's like one of the, like really interesting things about real estate is every day is something different and you know, you just have to work really hard to keep pushing through and become successful. And it's something I'm looking forward to.
2: And it's a shiny object syndrome too. When you're new, you're like, you're trying everything because you don't know what works. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard part too. Yeah.
1: Caleb, you probably had no idea you were going to be on a podcast today. <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, speaking
2: to why, how every day is different. Yeah, here we are. <laughs>
1: What, what are you going to change in your business in the next year? We asked them that question. Did anything from that stand out to you guys? No, so
2: I don't feel like they even answered that question necessarily. Yeah. And then you changed it and I think posed it, do you think anything's you going to change in the industry? Or maybe Michael kind of repositioned mm-hmm. that.
1: My favorite answer to what are you going to change in your business in the next year was uh, one of the people, I forget which, which one it was, but she talked about how she's going to continue to try to basically automate things. Right. And she's trying to systematize things. Right. And, you know, I love that. Right. So anything that we can automate or systematize or um, I don't know if this was her, uh, Isabel's answer to this question, but anything she can take off her plate again to allow her to be out there with clients um, is something that she's going to try to do. Yes. And I think, um, I you know, any tools or anything that we can use to do that is great. We'll talk a little bit about some of the tools they shared coming up, but, um, what do you think is going to change in our interest in our industry? I think that's where Michael had a lot to say. And he was talking about the different companies that have come out that will, you know, I'll list your home for a nickel. Right. And then the different brokerages that have come out that say, work here and, you know, have a closing and throw me a nickel. Right. And, and what else was he saying about the changes that he saw in our industry?
2: Well, I think they addressed the changes as um, Zillow it has rolled out, what is that program called where you can sell your own home? Or,
1: yeah, where they'll make an offer on your house.
2: Uh, yeah, make me an offer type of whatever um, that they've rolled out in a couple markets and are testing. And he, he said, if you want a really good laugh, kind of go through it and look at some of the details of it. And I have done that, and it is a 9%. Uh, fee that they're charging for that and you have no one walking you through the process
1: and they only offer you is it 70 or 80 percent of market value
2: well that's if um so you can i think list your home i think obviously but yeah the the buy where they're buying it um it's 80 percent of the value but we all know that estimates are not always correct
1: yeah so i think he was saying and which i i agree with this right I'm always worried and everyone probably always worried about all these new technologies and all these new companies and stuff that come out and they're, we're going to do it for less, you know, and we're going to
2: help you sell your house by yourself,
1: by yourself. There's all these different things that come out because they're trying to change the realtor industry. But what I love is that a, the fact that there is 80 things out there trying to do that, it causes a lot of noise and it's harder to pay attention to any particular one of them, Mm -hmm. which gives them less traction, I think. But then also the thing is, like, if something's too good to be true, then it probably is. So all these things that are like, we'll sell your home for a nickel, right? It's like, wow, that's great. But what, you know, that's too good to be true, right? So there's all sorts of things there that you're missing. Or right. Zillow says, I'll buy your house. Yeah, for like half of what it's worth or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so there's there's always kind of like the fine print. And, and I definitely liked having them sort of... Um,
2: validate, validate the, that no argument. one thinks yeah. that realtors are going away. I think that they just are going to be challenged in other ways.
1: And the other thing that Michael said that was interesting is that he kind of two things, a, he sort of looks forward to this. Like if there's going to be a downturn sometime in the next few years, he sort of looks forward to it because he feels that the him and his realtor team are going to be prepared for it, you know, because what he, because I guess of the training and stuff like that that he offers, but also, his point is that anytime there's a downturn, some realtors sort of like run towards it and they, you know, double their advertising. They increase their market share during the downturn because they're saying, I'm here, I'm strong, and let me take advantage of this downturn. And most realtors say, oh, my gosh, there's a downturn. I need to kind of have that. What would we tighten call that like a fixed mindset? And they say, oh, I need to cut my advertising. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like you say, tighten the belt. And what they end up doing is getting less business and losing their market share during that time. So for me, listening to that, I was like, "Dang, I think I can be guilty of that sometimes." Being like, "Oh, I don't know, maybe I won't, you know, do that major update to our website because it's who knows what's going to change, or you know, I don't maybe I won't do that mail or because who knows what's going to change." And so I, I was glad that he said that, and I think it, I have to kind of remind myself of that mindset when I'm having that mental thought.
2: But I think that that's a basic marketing strategy if you've even in the marketing world outside of real estate the best time to advertise is in down markets because that's when you can increase your market
1: share. Yeah. So we also asked what advice do you have for someone who just gotten their license? Did that hit either of you guys? Do you remember their answers for that?
0: Uh I think one of the things it might have been on this question that they said was just different project management apps that they use and just how it helped them like kind of organize everything and see like where their money was coming from. So like he kept track of the money that was coming in from the hotel manager to uh-huh. see how much revenue he was making from that Avenue of marketing. And then he would have another section of the management app that would show him how much money is coming in from sending out postcards or just different things like that so you can focus on the thing that's most successful for you.
1: So I, I also like that. Thanks thanks for reminding me of that because, you know, we do a yearly business planning meeting at our company. And actually this year we're going to do a bi-yearly one. We're going to do one in a month or so. Mm-hmm. And I think that what we'll do, we always give out your numbers, right? Like, hey, Shannon, here's your numbers from the last year. And these are all the sales that you had, all the closings that you had. And it gives you the address, right? But we just sort of put that in your folder and move on. I'm guessing, and based on what he said, I think there would be value to us having you take a few minutes and break down, okay, this closing, where did this one come from? This one there, where did this one come from? And kind of break that into categories of like, this is fear of influence, this is from Facebook ads, this is from networking or whatever. And so you, our agents, can really see where their business is coming from.
2: Yeah, so they all said that they all... At the end of the year, so they do track it. They track it in different ways. And one guy just uses Excel spreadsheet, which uh-huh. is amazing mm-hmm. to me. Um, but they all did state that at the end of the year, they do a review of where their business came from. And they all confirm. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely sit down in December. And one was like, I sit down in January. And that helps me plan out, see where my business came from. And it's surprising um, sometimes where it's come from and so then they start honing it and more and more Mm -hmm. you get to hone it
1: that's how they a couple of them i think that's how they stopped advertising on zillow so
2: specifically i think it was uh, isabel who was saying that she quit zillow because while she did profit from it so if she said specifically if we were making a dollar fifty and we only spent a dollar but um the amount of energy and the and that had to go towards to get that dollar fifty was exponential in terms of how the rest of her business mm-hmm. was going. closed three out. deals
1: and make make uh, like an income off one of them. So technically, you made an income, but could she have but been closing two yeah. deals by some other way?
2: Yes, and meanwhile, you're running around trying to please twenty buyers or buyers and or sellers that mm-hmm. never come to fruition. So it's it's just this. And which is one of my big issues with Zillow too, which will be another podcast.
1: It'll be interesting to see our whole um, where people do that evaluation, because, because I think you should
2: do that at the mid-year one too. So far this year, sit down, think yeah. about where the, your business has come from,
1: because it'll be fresh in mind, and they'll be able to probably mm-hmm. everyone will probably be able to remember more. But um, the whole like eighty twenty rule, where they might find that eighty percent of their income comes from twenty percent of whatever they're doing. And hopefully that means they should focus a little bit more on that stuff. Mm -hmm. Would you agree that you, in general, can't just like stop doing anything else? Like with the 80-20 rule, you can't exactly only do that 20% of stuff. You still kind of have to do at least some of the 80% of activity that breeds the 20% of the results?
2: Yes. I think that, yeah, they all said the focus has to be that 20%. There is some of that on the 80%, but that's where they're trying to create the automations.
1: So, one of the things that we deal with in our business a lot and and luckily, I guess it's not as much as it could be and uh but I get calls sometimes from some of our agents new young or new or old, right, or new or experienced, I guess I should say, mm-hmm. and they're dealing with an agent who's being super rude to them, who's being like nasty right and just just totally unprofessional, um calling them names, cussing them out. Making them cry, whatever. And that's, it's so, it's more, way more common than it should be that our agents have to deal with agents from other companies that are just nasty to deal with, you know? Right. And so I liked, we asked them, how do you guys deal, or what advice do you have for young realtors dealing with a difficult agent in a transaction? And it was funny to hear because, you know, they're from all these different markets across the country, but they all have experienced the agent who says, well, I've been in the business 30 years and I've never seen this, you know? And I love it. I don't love it. When, I, when an agent says that to me, I sort of love it because I'm thinking to myself, like, glad I could teach you something. Right. Right? Right. You know? And so what advice did they have for dealing with these agents?
2: I think Michael is like, that he doesn't know everything. And as long as he's been in the business and as long as he'll be in the business, he'll never know everything. There's unique situations almost to every deal. So...
1: Yeah, he kinda of spin that into like yeah. an educational thing and he like did. He, he likes to learn and so the reason that he's successful now is because he takes on all these new learning opportunities and right. and all that kind of stuff, right? I think the the other agent talked about how she she's in her mind says, uh maybe that was Jenica, that's like I'm going to win. Maybe I'm not gonna win on this little negotiation here, or maybe you'll still be mean to me, but eventually we're gonna be friends. Right? And I think she said something like you don't know this yet, but I'm taking you for drinks or something like that. Oh, did she? I think I would she said have loved that. I yeah. that
2: line, but I did not yeah. hear
1: that. Yeah, it's I love that idea too. I mean, not that you want to be friends with this kind of nasty person necessarily, but like you uh, the attitude there is what I think I like where it's like you might win this, you know, whatever, but you don't have the power to ruin my day. And and uh I mean, I'm sort of adding my own angle on this, right. I think, but you know, the whole idea of like, you don't have the power to make me mad, you know, so you can call me and be as nasty to me as you want to, but you, I'm not going to let that affect me.
2: Right. And it is really hard in your first few years because of the insecurity, mm-hmm. like it, going up, up against an agent maybe that's been in the business for a really long time. And I think someone said, like alluded kind of to that, that it's hard because you you feel insecure, but it doesn't mean that you're wrong. Right. It just means that it's a unique situation, and even you, right? Like, how often do we come and ask you a question? And you're like, okay, let's talk this through. Let's think about this. Mm-hmm. Let's, and even at our sales meeting, a really wild thing came up with inspection notices, and right. So, yeah, it's, 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 for an agent to say, "I've never seen this before," you go, "Well, okay," and I mean right. that'll be how yeah. it is.
1: By the way, just I, I'm getting distracted because off slightly off topic, but along the lines of what you just said, you know, I just wrote an offer on a house this morning, and I was meeting face to oh, face with right. the seller. Mm-hmm. And along the lines of like, you never know what's going to happen, so the seller and I are looking through the contract, and she and I mentioned that hey, it might come up because she's selling like it's not her house; she's getting it through a trust or whatever. I'm like it may come up through the title search that there's some sort of big bill. There might be like a lien from the sewer company or a mechanics lien from the guy who put the roof on or whatever, you know, we don't know. Mm -hmm. And she was like, well, where does it say in here that I have to pay that? You know, like if there's a big sewer bill, where does it say that I have to pay that? And I'm like thinking to myself and I even said to her, I'm like, I don't know if it says that in here because you just, the bill is like in your name. So that's what says that you have to pay the bill, right? But let's look through the contract together and see where it says that.
2: Oh my gosh, that's an awesome question. Isn't it an awesome yes. question? Because
1: it doesn't say that's it in there from what I could find.
2: Question. That's a Yeah, yeah. and it, it homeowners association fees come up all the time, especially yeah. with trusts.
1: So there's there's, you know, the title paragraph that kind of listed out the title stuff that we were talking about and basically said if I find something as the buyer That I don't like maybe in the survey then I can present it to you the seller and then we can negotiate and maybe kill the deal or maybe come to an agreement right but it didn't say anything about if the seller finds something that she didn't know about and I think that the way that the contract is written is good because it protects the buyer who and me and Mike in this case could have had a lot of money invested into this deal hundreds of dollars in inspections tons of money into appraisal lots of money into survey whatever right And so it wouldn't really be fair to me if then three weeks later, the seller finds out, oh gosh, that roofer did place that lien on my property, you know, and I do have to pay him, but I don't want to. So I can't sell. I'm not going to sell to you. You know, that wouldn't be fair to the buyer from my perspective, but I'm like, I don't. And then the other paragraph that we looked at was the paragraph that lists out what the different closing costs are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, buyer's closing costs or this, seller closing costs are this. But even that paragraph didn't say, like, very direct and clearly, at least, that the seller has to pay their old bills. You know? And so...
2: Yeah. Uh, really? Now I'm super intrigued. No, well, we'll look at it after this. But but yes, because that question comes up. I've had buyers say, what if there's liens? Because I, when I explain what a title company is, what they do, mm-hmm. then sometimes they say, well, what happens if there is a lien or an unpaid bill or something yeah. and, was like, and well, it's always like, like oh the it. seller
1: has to pay it but where does it say that in the contract and maybe it doesn't it's just assumed you know but i'm like w- but
2: then you if they don't pay it well and there is times that in especially foreclosures i have seen where you have to pay all past liens
1: yeah so we'll dig deeper into that and you know i don't i'm not giving legal advice on this podcast right you can Interpret the contract however you want, or ask your attorney if you have specific questions about that. But um, it was just a fun example of like, yeah. Even this morning, something came up when I was like, wow, I I just truly don't know the answer to that question. You know.
2: So, what about the technologies? Let's talk about the technologies and tools that um, that did any of them strike you?
1: I loved hearing that Isabel uses Trello because you know I'm a big Trello lover. Yes. And she, I used. I use Trello, T R E L L O dot com. It's a free app or a free website, I guess. But they do an have app. app. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I use that sort of for more like big picture planning and kind of like project management, you know. But like I have a a board that's all about my banking stuff and where I keep track of all my credit cards and all you know like logins and things like that. Should I even say that? No, again?
2: you do. I don't, I don't actually. I take that back.
1: I take that back. I don't have that. <laughs> I'm deleting it right now, <laughs> the thing that I don't have, but um, uh, you know if we're going to do a website project right, then that's a great place for me to go and add what they call cards for different updates that I want to make to the site, and then I can assign those cards to the different people you know um, and if, then
2: we have one for the podcast we have one so for I this podcast. The podcast ideas mm-hmm. so
1: podcast ideas, guest ideas, topics to talk about and and all that kind of stuff, and then we have. I always have a left column that's what I call assets. So we list out like the opener for the podcast and that kind of stuff. But she uses it specifically to keep for task management, right? So we asked, what are you guys using for task tracking or task management? Our company, mainly what we use is realty juggler. Uh, Most of our agents, what we use is realty juggler, which keeps track of tasks and assigns them dates and due dates and puts things on the calendar and all that kind of stuff. But I love that she uses Trello for that and she makes it, Not public, but she shares it with her client so they can, you know, the whole idea, I love the idea of accountability, right? So your client can log in and see the things that you're doing and be like, whoa, what's this one? You haven't done this one yet. You know, that might be annoying, but I love the idea of accountability. And also, since our company is all about educating our client, I think it's great that our client would then be able to log in and see what we're doing and ask questions about it. And she makes videos about each thing that her clients can watch,
2: right? So, um, this is the part of the where uh, the 30 under 30 where my ears perk up and I really start to make the notes because I look over at Caleb, Caleb and I'm like, well, What were all your notes? Look at all those things, yeah. And I just have a couple of things written down because I love technology and I like things that can, that are really cool. And so I, she, the re how she uses Trello is she has a buyer board and a seller board specifically. She has a generic one where she has all the tasks written out and in those tasks she does on some of them include video mm-hmm. and, um, so every time she has a buyer or seller, she immediately sets it up, sends it over to them, and then that's where she starts pulling it over. So she makes a copy of that. So she just has a generic format, which is which was public. So I did Google it and I did d- dig deep enough, and I found it. So, oh, good. Um, I and I, it's obviously going to be a little bit different because it's different states, but um, it was definitely inspirational. Um, so I thought it was really, really fabulous thing and how she uses trello but within trello she was talking about for the video and video recording she uses loom which is a chrome extension
1: yeah so loom is awesome i used loom recently i don't know if you remember but i made a bunch of videos that i put on our oh, company is that internet loom? okay uh-huh. i use loom to to make these little training videos about like how to use docusign or my gmail
0: tips and some stuff like that for screen sharing it's, yeah. It was free. It was really easy to use. Do you use it, Caleb? No, I do oh, not okay. use it yet, but I hopefully will use it in the future. But I think like the reason she uses it, and like you said, she puts it in there on Trello, is every time she gets a new question from a buyer or a seller, she puts it on that document, and she basically can walk through the seller or with the seller or with the buyer on like where they need to sign or what this means or what that means. That way she doesn't have to answer phone calls and explain it.
2: Yeah. So she, times. again, with her automation, and her major push for automation, she kind of was a little bit funny in that comment. I, uh, in if she tries to list out everything, if there's anything new, she adds it. And her whole goal is to not have to answer any questions because they're already all answered. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was just a
1: little, if you were a client and you asked me, Hey Adam, what's, a survey, and I responded to your email with a video that basically answered the question but sort of had some other stuff in it, do you think you'd be okay with that? Or would you want me to, like, specifically answer your specific question just to you?
2: Well, I don't know. So I guess I'm more of a... I like the personal aspects of everything and how it applies specifically to each scenario Um, because I think it can be a little bit different, like a survey, so survey I think- is probably a really good idea if you don't, if you're going to build a fence in the city where the on like, the gutters are almost touching, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that. So you can't really answer all those questions without it being too general. That's why I like the specifics. But then at the same time, what is a survey? is great video to watch and then handle their specific
0: questions. So maybe they'll ask less questions if they would have already seen some of her other videos. I think that's the point that she puts all these videos on there so that if they have a question, they go and watch that video and hopefully that answers their question. And if they have a further question, they come and ask her.
2: Yeah. So I think it minimizes the videos minimize the questions that she has to answer over and over and over again.
1: So did you look into Canva? I think uh, I
2: use Canva. I have in the past. You know do, you don't use Canva?
1: Is Canva can the thing Canva. that makes like really yeah. easy like Facebook pages and landing pages and stuff?
2: Mm, I don't use it for that. But no, just images. What does it do? Like so you can it's like PicMonkey. Have you used PicMonkey <laughs> no. at all? It's kind You're a technology girl. It's kind of just one of those where you can make some really cool just. Um, Anything from flowcharts to just it's an easy way to do graphics you Without made that you,
1: video remember a few months ago you made some sort of video explaining the home buying process or something
2: Oh but that was Pow probably through Powtoons
1: okay okay
2: Oh oh yeah for my first time homebuyer class yeah, yeah so that was through Powtoons so
1: so what is canva
2: So it's the same it's, a, it's canva PicMonkey, in essence is a, a way to allow allows the everyday person to do graphics.
0: Okay, so you can make a flow media chart or whatever. Sharing. Okay, interesting. What was the one social media site that you use that you talked about in the sales meeting that like posts your Facebook ad each month?
1: Oh yeah, so I Not. love this site called if this then that. ifttt.com is the website. And
2: uh you can go in a rabbit hole on that thing though. You can get in
1: a rabbit hole in that. So, <laughs> to me the best thing to do is is you can look through some of the uh, I think they call them recipes or something like that. Mm-hmm. The more popular recipes that they have, and then you can go specifically to like Facebook or Gmail and see what kind of recipes are available for that. But like I have it set up to say if one of them that I use is if it's I don't know the morning or seven thirty a.m. or whatever, then text message Adam the weather.
2: Right, that's So right. every
1: morning I get a text message that tells me what the weather in St. Louis is for the day. Right, or if it's the first of the month, then tweet out to Adam's Twitter, wake up, wake up, wake up, it's the first of the month. Right. <laughs> well, I also have one now that goes to my LinkedIn every single day that says, like, happy Thursday, everyone. Right. Well,
2: I thought you just did it on Tuesdays.
1: LinkedIn is every single day. <laughs> And that's what the that's you know a little off topic again, but that's the the crazy thing about LinkedIn is that I think it's a so underused, and b so many people have so many friends on there that when you log in once a week or twice a week or whatever
2: once a year once
1: a year whatever it is, people don't see they don't log in like they do to Facebook twenty five times a day. So even though I'm posting on there every single day, Happy Monday, everyone! Happy Tuesday, everyone! the same people aren't really seeing that over and over again. And it's amazing to me when I log into my LinkedIn two or three times a week that I get people liking that all the time. Hey, thanks. Hey, like, 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 I'm like, don't you notice that I post this thing every single day and kind of wonder what's going on with that? But I don't think they're seeing it. Oh my gosh. So, okay. Anyway, nope. if this, then that is my social media share, I guess for this podcast.
2: So one of the other ones that they brought up was listings to lead. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, I always run back to my computer and start researching all this stuff. And it did look really interesting. So uh, I I guess that it's, depending on how many listings you have a month, you pay on that basis. So zero to 10, 11, so on and so forth. Um, So it will, I think, create landing pages and then all... These posts, and it, I haven't used it yet, but it looks pretty powerful in the way that you can take one listing and really cover all your bases with um, advertising from social media to creating a landing
1: page. Yeah, so to me, the thing that would be really valuable is if it does all this posting and stuff for you automatically – right because our through our company we have several different tools that we use to make landing pages for listings and right. through our lender we have another tool that does it and we have all these things have all these tools and technology that you can use you know every company out there every real estate company has a thousand different tools and technology that you can use the problem is it's crazy overwhelming there's way too much of it right and so it's if, not
2: all in one place i feel I feel like most is in one place uh-huh. so that that's good, like on the total experts say uh-huh. most of it's in one place I also, but then this I think i don't know that we need it, but it had some other functions like property evaluations mm-hmm. so i don't know how that would fit into the pricing model exactly because it really is geared towards the number of listings that you post or do a month yeah. but it it looks like this kind of houses everything in one spot not just most everything Everything.
1: so to me uh our kind of our strategy growing this company has always been like find the best solution for each problem and we've kind of taken an approach that's like not to find one app or whatever that one thing that does it all Mm -hmm. because we want to find the thing that does it best that's why we use MailChimp and not you know real geeks for our mail. That's why we use DocuSign and not the free ones from this website. That's why we use realty jugger for task plans. Uh, That's why we use whizza. Right. And that's why we have all these different tools that we use. But if does listings to lead, if I get a listing, Mm -hmm. does it automatically make this landing page and then automatically post it to my Facebook and then automatically send any leads that come from that to my CRM and then automatically text message that person and then automatically add them to my email drip campaign. Now we're talking. I want right. a solution now that that. Right, now that I cannot
2: answer. I was going to test it out. It, it's not um, all that expensive. If it really does everything that I have in my head, mm-hmm. and it's not clunky, it's very user-friendly, very easy, to me, I think it's worth it. But at, um, again, haven't tested it, but I have obviously this listing coming up that's launching this week that... I was actually going to test it out on and okay. then just kind
1: of. Yeah, I'd love to hear about it. I, I, just, I just think it's so interesting. And most of these apps don't do exactly what we want them to do. Like I just said, we use all we're these different apps for like each specific thing. But then we're able to sort of like tie them together through like If This Then That or through Zapier.com, which is kind of an If This Then That competitor. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I'd love to hear more about it from you. Let's see. Uh, did you write down any of the books they suggested?
2: Yes, of course, because I'm also a book gentleman. One of them
1: said Mindset by Carol Dweck, which to me is an amazing book. I love it. I think anybody... It's not just for real estate. It's Actually, it's not even about real estate, I don't Mm-mm. think. But remember, um, Than Merrill, he suggested that book when we interviewed him for the podcast. And I've then since read it and listened to tons of her interviews. And I'm like lecturing my dad. But the other day, my dad... Um, we were playing basketball with my nephew and uh, he's like eight. And my dad's like, you're a natural talent, Lucas. And I was like, dad, you can't say that. Don't call him a natural talent because everything that I learned in this book, mindset says that that would then teach Lucas that he's just naturally good and not give him any motivation or reason to like practice, to get better. Yes. And so then all of a sudden someone else will practice and get better and be better than Lucas at basketball and Lucas will just think I'm not good. Which is and- funny
2: because the other person that I brought that book up to, they they said how amazing the book was, but it the one thing they followed that up with was how it changed their parenting style. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh my gosh. I need to
1: It's amazing." And so that's that my my nephew's crazy good at soccer and I'm like, "You practiced really well, Lucas." Like Great effort today at getting better instead of being like, you're just a natural talent, you know? And right. So I'm no mindset expert, used, but I'm trying. The
2: he uses, the, you know, his little girl said, and, you know, we all get hard on ourselves. Like, you know, I can't do that. And he adds, yet. You can't uh-huh. do that okay. yet. And I guess that came from the book.
1: Okay, what other books and podcasts? So it's Four
2: Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss, which I think I've read years ago. But um, I mean,
1: need to re-listen to that one. I, I listened to that a long time ago. Yeah. it's all about automating. Yeah, get so, out of your own way. Right. Stop being the bottleneck in your business.
2: How to be a badass? But I could not find that one exactly. I don't so think, I think it's think it spelled
1: one. badass. I think it's like B asterisk D or B bad. I don't know. It's not, you know, it's that other one you like to sub the art of not giving an F word. Mm -hmm. It's probably something like that.
2: And then another one was boss, but it was B-A-W-S-E.
1: Because she has like, that's some sort of acronym. Yeah. It wasn't how, wasn't it be a boss or was the title just boss? Just boss,
2: I think. Okay. Five second rule. What's that one? That's a Mel Robbins one.
1: Is that about like, you can, as long as you can get over that fear, you can do anything and...
2: No, I think the five second thing is a Mel Robbins thing. It's like five, four, three, two, one, just do it. Like type, like and expands on all that. But I haven't listened to this book yet.
1: You know, I've heard at some point, like kind of like what you just said: five, four, three, two, one, just do it. It's sort of like the anticipation of doing something that holds people back, not the actual doing of the thing. Yeah,
2: like everything, the simplest task of like getting out of bed, like uh-huh. instead of hitting your sue's button, and you just go okay. Five, four, three, two, one. And you and I'm out of bed. bed. And you're, you're like, oh, okay, bed. this exactly. isn't so bad.
1: Yes. Or right before you jump in the pool, you're like, oh, my God, I don't know, I don't know. And then you jump in, you're like, oh, that's great.
2: Right. So I don't know all the philosophy behind that one. Um, never Split the Difference.
1: That's a negotiation
0: book, I yeah. presume? Yeah. hmm Okay. Uh,
2: and then Michael had Ninja Selling and um, Financial Prospecting.
0: Fanatical. Or fanatical. Fanatical Prospecting. I think Do I have that, that book, book? here. I I haven't read it yet. I'm interested in the ninja
1: selling one because you know my my business model, I guess you could say, is is um, like having great relationships and building a referral based business. And I think he said that book is kind of about that. Um, I don't want to read a book about like making cold calls. All the ones he said.
2: Okay, and then the only two podcasts I had written down was Impact Theory and Bigger Pockets. Mm -hmm. Did you get anything else?
0: I. I actually have listened to a couple of Bigger Pockets, and I I like
2: you do podcasts. like that one. I mean,
0: Caleb, what is? I mean, I've
1: heard from bigger about Bigger Pockets, all, almost always from people who are listening to
0: podcasts about real estate. That must be like the number one one. What I mean, is yeah, it all I mean, about? Listen, I heard of it. I think it mainly tailors more to like the real estate investor. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of different videos and like just different ways that you can go about like the investing in real estate like wholesaling wholetailing and just flipping properties and they actually i have a couple of different like kind of calculators that kind of tell you if it's a good deal for different aspects of it so
2: better than our calculators
0: our uh spreadsheet that we use yeah exactly. so caleb no, we had lunch
1: yesterday him, with that guy and he would kept using the word wholesaling, and now you're using it what would you what is that i'm not really sure i need to look more into that so i'm thinking what? that's a wholesale deal where instead of selling it off market to an investor they sell it to an end buyer yeah I think maybe so. there's something they also call like prehabbing and whatnot where they are doing like where they'll buy a property and do a very light rehab or just even like a clean-out to it. The hard things, mm-hmm. so they
2: like put on a new roof, do some tech point, and get the outside. I've mm-hmm. seen that more lately.
1: But then an investor will still buy it. and Or maybe that'll make it so that like a first-time home buyer who's handy or something like that would buy it. All right, anything else we want to talk about today?
2: Um, you asked about accreditations, and I thought that Michael was interesting as i you know, he was the whole time he was one of the accreditations that he got was the accredited staging professional uh-huh. and not that he wanted to be a stager, but he wanted to understand the philosophy behind it to better help his sellers understand why we mm-hmm. ask them to do what we do when we're asking him to declutter and, um, how the eye moves from left to right. And when you scan a room and you walk into a house, like the, phlo- the psychology of, and if you have something, A lot of knickknacks, the more you break that eye up and the more you break up that scan, the the less they can take in and focus on the house.
1: I love his concept, which is a simple one. You know, never stop learning. Right.
2: Right. And that's basically, yeah, he was. uh, And then there are some other accreditations that he mentioned that I thought were really interesting but not available around here. Well,
1: CRS is.
2: Oh, that I have. On
1: certified. It. Isn't that certified residential specialist? But
2: his was CRS 204.
1: That's a specific class, right? Mm-hmm. It's for real estate investing.
0: More to That one I would do
2: in a heartbeat, but we, they don't offer it here. Yeah. I'd
0: like to consider getting my CRS designation. I think uh, the other interesting thing you said about the accreditations or whether you call those, the different certifications you can get, is that he actually. Got a couple deals because he had that and the other realtor didn't have uh-huh. those accreditations.
2: That was the staging one. Was yeah, that? That was the, it was the staging hysterical. one.
0: And he said, like, he knows a little bit about it, but he doesn't know everything that a staging professional would know. But the lady that was looking for the realtor to list her house was saying that that she wanted somebody that knew a lot about staging. And he was able to say, well, I I'm an accredited, accredited staging accredited professional. Deal. So it got him that
1: listing. And if nothing else, it gave him the confidence to talk about it too, you know. All right, let's go ahead and wrap it up. We've been here about an hour now, and I just I want to thank you both for sitting in on this. I really wanted to kind of give an overview of the, the panel before a before we forget and for everyone else to listen and kind of get some ideas. This is definitely a podcast that was tailored more towards realtors. Um, but we we love our listeners so if you have questions or topics that you want us to cover in the future like always please email podcast at hermanlondon.com and uh, let us know what you're wanting to hear and thanks so much for listening take care